God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us now turn in our Bibles to Matthew 22, and it will actually encompass verses 1 through 14. But I won't read it all right away. In fact, we'll give first an introduction and a prayer. And then in the course of the message, we'll read uh, portions and finally all of Matthew 22, 1 through 14. So, by way of introduction, I entitled this the privilege of the Lord's table. It is indeed a privilege, one that we should not be remiss in taking full advantage of if one is a child of God. This parable, as you will hear shortly, is about God's invitation to enter into his kingdom. It is pictured in the form of a marriage ceremony and reception, such as the one that uh, my wife and I had the privilege of attending last night and even participating in, in Carlsbad. The invitation is sealed, in this case, as it were, by baptism. But it is fleshed out, if you will, by the Lord's Supper. That's what the focus will be upon, the Lord's Supper, because that is what we have before us now, and the elements that are set for us on the table. First of all, the privilege of the Lord's table was, or yes, is a past privilege. When the invitation was first sent out for Jews and Gentiles to come, into the kingdom. And so let us now read Matthew 22, 1 through 11. And then I'll pray. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden. This is of the nation of Israel to the wedding. And they would not. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, that is the highways of the world, to the Gentiles, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Let us pray. 
Father in heaven, help us that we may understand what it is that you are telling us through your word. May your Holy Spirit, who indwells us, that is those who are your elect, who have already been translated from darkness to light by the power of your Holy Spirit through the word of God, through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May they be given, indeed, ears to hear. Or should I say, they who have been given ears to hear may listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, whether you are Jew or Gentile, the wedding garment is what is necessary for you to be in God's holy kingdom. Without it, you cannot come in. As our Lord, when he told Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. What is the wedding garment? I have narrowed it down to two things. And you will hear that this is many things, but I narrow it down to two things. The wedding garment is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. In 2 Timothy 5.21, it reads, and I turn there, even though I have it here in my notes, just to give you time to also turn to it if you would, if you want to. Because this is an excellent verse, and I tell you one, I'll tell you what, this is very singular. This is a gospel verse. And this is narrowing down to the bottom line. And here it is. For he that is God hath made him who is Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And what Christ came to do and in fact did was a transference of righteousness for sin, if you can picture that. How we get the righteousness of God who trust in Christ and Christ gets our sin. Who knew no sin? And my question to this day as a, as a Christian, to this day, after over 50 years of being a child of God, is why me, Lord? Why me? Why are you concerned with little old me, little old sinful me? The wedding garment is the perfect righteousness of Christ, and without this, you will not be in heaven. And so if all you were to do is to take this verse, and I've, I've had occasion where I didn't have any time, but I could insert a verse edgewise, this is the verse I would come to because it, it speaks of it all. It speaks of all of what is absolutely necessary. Like if you were to escape from a burning building or from a forest fire and you didn't have any time to bring anything except yourself, this is what you will bring because this is what will bring you safely out of that burning building or forest fire of God's wrath. And the other, other definition of what the wedding garment is, is Jesus' precious blood shed for the remission of sins, which is already spoken about, although more implicitly, 
in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when it says that he was made sin for us on the cross. But let me take you to Romans 4.7. So Romans 4.7 reads, Romans 4.7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Are your sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, no forgiveness of sins, no. No matter all of the, do, the, the, the do, being a do-gooder and, and, and doing good works that you do, even in the name of, of God, even in the name of Christ, if that's what your reliance is on, as many religionists today uh, do, you're lost. You're still not in the kingdom of God. And you are on your way to hell. So that's how this passage is a past privilege and for many, sadly, past mine. Secondly, it is a present privilege to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper now is a present privilege. To be in God's church is a privilege. What ordinance brings you into the church? Baptism. Now, baptism itself, the form, the ordinance, the rite, the sacrament of baptism doesn't save you, will not bring you any closer to the kingdom of God than where you are if you're lost. But if what has happened in your life that is the work of the Spirit who baptizes us in the name of Jesus has, has happened, then it is everything. And you want to be baptized. Because as our Lord taught, it is through faith, through believing, and baptism that we are saved. Mark chapter 16. But let's look at another one, Titus 3, 5. How baptism is a picture of the new birth. Titus 3, verse 5. Turn to it. Titus 3, verse 5, reads, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, reading on, which he shed on us abundantly through our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But focusing on regeneration, notice it's the washing of regeneration. The work of the Spirit is pictured as washing, such as what is emblematic in baptism. And also baptism is a picture of our inclusion into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body. Notice, it's a spiritual baptism. Because it is by the spirit we are baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been made, all made, to drink 
into one spirit. That is why baptism, likewise, is a condition for partaking of the Lord's Supper. And if you haven't been baptized before, in the name of the triune God, upon your confession of Christ as Lord, then you should partake. It's as simple as that. Baptism brings you in, and the supper keeps you in, as it were. But sadly, not all who are baptized are attending the church and are attending the church are born again. There's that possibility. That there are, as in a parable of our Lord, tares sown amongst the wheat. And we can't prevent that, and especially as the church grows, especially as the body of Christ increases in number. That's what has happened in times past, such as in the Bible and the book of Acts, and even after in church history. Who can know but God who they are? And in one sense, it is not our business, although in another sense, we have to attend to that as uh, elders and pastors in Christ's church. And sometimes he or she does not even realize it himself or herself because sin is so deceptive. The heart is so deceptive. As Jeremiah put it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it except God? Because our Lord, the Lord goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So God knows you by your fruit, even, even without knowing, seeing your fruit. He knows your heart, okay? But it is by your fruit that you will be known. And for the church in time, you will be known. For when Jesus returns, yes, there will be in the church those who profess him as Lord, Lord. Who say, for example, have, have we not prophesied in thy name? They, they may be ministers and pastors. In thy name, cast out devils, demons. In thy name, done many wonderful works, miracles. Satan can imitate miracles up to a point. And yet Christ will say unto you in that day, if that is you, who are alive on a mere profession of that name as lofty as that name is, I never knew you. You were never one of mine. And so now let's read Matthew 22, finishing off verses 11 through 14 of it, which is our pericope. Matthew 22, 11 through 14. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. These are the words of our Lord. These are the words of the king in the parable who is our Lord speaking. And he's saying that not all who come into the church, 
Not all who become members of Christ's church through baptism. Not all who even partake of the Lord's Supper, being members in Christ's church, will be saved. And the Lord will be the one to sort it out in the end. But yet, that is why the Apostle Paul warns the churches to fence the table, getting back to the Lord's Supper. And so let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 25 through 32. 1 Corinthians 11. And after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, and my blood this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We know that from the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord himself as it spread across the Gospels. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So the, the Lord's Supper is a picture of Christ's sufferings and death for his people. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink, this, and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, judgment, not eternal hell, but judgment, the generic word for judgment, to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, and that's an idiom for death or dying. By the way, I know one congregation that experienced this where someone died sometime during or shortly after the Lord's Supper, right there in the midst of the service. So it can happen. It has happened. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged by the Lord. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. See, there is the possibility that you may not be Christ and you are condemned with the world because you partake unworldly as the evidence or fruit of your doings. Again, this is not about our being worthy ourselves. You're being worthy yourself, or my being worthy myself. None are worthy. No, not one. <coughs> it is all about the worthiness of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And in a very real sense, it's not even about ourselves. Except only as we are in Christ, in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. That is our hope. That's everything. Without him, we can do nothing. We can go nowhere but to hell. It is only with him that we can go to heaven. So it's not about us. And so it is important. Make your calling election share. It is also important with regard to the supper to partake worthily because you have put on the wedding garment of Christ's righteousness, of his shed blood. As the Apostle Paul would put it in Romans 13, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep 
For now is our salvation nearer and nearer and nearer than when we believe. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like donning a new set of clothes. It's like getting a new suit and putting it on as your Sunday best, although better. Because this will be Christ's righteousness. And this will stand you good without even having to dry clean it ever in this life because it is eternally pure and perfect and good to go to glory. For worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, says the writer of the book of Revelation. And lastly, it is a future privilege, the Lord's Supper is, when we will eat and drink with Christ in glory. This is what this is all going to. This is what it is mounting to. Our Lord says that the next time we eat, it will not be here. Did he, did he not allude to that? To, to the celestial uh, Lord's Supper? Yes, he did. In the book of Revelation 19, 7 through 9, Revelation, verses 19, chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, reads, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. This is the true saying of God. I'm not speaking to you from myself. This is the true saying of God. And I tell you that this is what you and I need to listen to and to obey. Because there's future blessing involved in this. Even in our being at being called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is already a precursor. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. But yet, there is one to come. This is the not yet. And there will be one day the already. Behold, as we heard earlier at the beginning of the service, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Wow. Praise God. The wedding garment is what is necessary for you to be at the great supper of the Lamb. Don't be found naked. Don't be found without it. Like that commercial, don't leave home without it. Paul says, I am found in him. I am found in him is what he says. I was lost and now I am found in him, by him, for him. Not having my own righteousness. This is Philippians chapter 3 if you want to look it up later. 3.9. 
might tell you and, and give you the reference and not turn it with you, right? Because this is also key. There's certain verses that are landmarks in the Bible that you want to make sure you, you, you see on the road because they're, they're major and they may make the difference between your arriving at your destination at all or perhaps not arriving at your destination if you miss it. And so Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, in Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, meaning by my trying to keep the law of God perfectly in thought, word, and deed. And I assure you, and I'm sure you could assure yourselves, and, and perhaps in your testimony, assure others that you haven't done it. I haven't done it. And so that is not what I need to, to hold on to. That is not what I need to be found resting in when the Lord comes back. That is not what I uh, ought to put my reliance on at all. Because that will fail me. 100% for sure it will fail me. The only thing that will save me is Jesus' righteousness. That which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. These are they who are washed and whose robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 14. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are they who evidence that they have on the right wedding garments by a righteous lifestyle. Titus 2, and I'll read this for you. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, and that is not odd, that is special. Peculiar to the world, perhaps, but not to God, because you are special to him because of Jesus. Zealous good works, especially if you're zealous of good works and you're living the Christian life to the best of the ability and the grace of God given to you. You honor him and are an honor to him. Praise God. So are you wearing the proper wedding garments this morning? Only if you are by being in Christ, by being baptized into the body of Christ in this church, able to partake and thank God that he has worked in our lives many of our lives if not perhaps even in all of our lives unto this end shall we pray oh God and heavenly father and merciful and great high priest and savior we come to you with thankful hearts for the privilege of counting you as our covenant God, 
We are thankful, O oh Lord, that you first came to us, that we love you because you first loved us. Oh Lord, how sweet the day of our salvation. And Lord, it is only like wine over time becomes sweeter as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Indeed, what a glory you have shed on our way and continue to do. And Lord, assure us that assure us that you will do even to our meeting you face to face. But in the meantime, we partake of, of uh, that which you have provided to us and by your spirit imbibe, such as of this supper, which is a picture of our relationship to you and how it has been consummated by your work in our behalf and by your continued work by your spirit in our lives. So continue to do, we pray. Help us, Lord, because we need it. Bring us along life's narrow way because, Lord, we cannot negotiate it on our own. And to you be the glory and the honor for your salvation as we ask this in your Son's most holy name, Jesus Christ.